Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Muse, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. As per usual, before I get started with today's show, I just wanted to remind everyone that they can find the Left Pocket Project by searching for Left POC, that's L-E-F-T-P-O-C, wherever you get your podcasts, your social media, and of course your leftist news. Um, you can also find us on Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash leftpoc, where you can donate a dollar or more <laughs> per month uh, to keep this show running and to support all of our basic uh, needs in the background. And also that helps us to um, pay our guests and to donate to uh, local organizations. So with that all put away and said, I'm going to start today's third installment of Podmas. Um, it's going to be hopefully shorter than last night, so sorry about the length for that one, but there was a lot to say about paperwork. Um, I wanted to actually talk today about healthcare in the U.S., and this, I think, might be, I hope, uh, will be the last solo episode where I'm talking about healthcare, but who knows what lies in store, to be honest, considering that healthcare is such a fraught issue in the U.S. Um, so I actually want to talk about my experience with healthcare really briefly. And then, um, you know, like I said, I'm sure, I, I don't know, my my example of drama with healthcare is very minor compared to that of some others. Um, so, you know, feel free to comment on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you leave your comments about the podcast, um, just with your own experiences and kind of like what you're doing or what your, your thoughts are, are excuse me, um, about where we can go from here and hopefully you know, improve things in the U.S. Also, be sure to check out the show notes. I'm going to leave a few links um, to some recent developments on, you know, um, channels that I've seen or watched that have been talking a bit about healthcare and just some recent articles and things that people might find helpful um, just as a start of like explaining what's going on, but then also some potential solutions um, and things that people can rally for for improvements in this area of our system. Um, so yeah, today I had a two hour long MRI, which is really weird. Um, it's, it feels at first like being inside of a spaceship. Um, but then you're like trapped in this, it's, it's like a spaceship coffin. I kind of call it. It's a very weird experience. You have to keep your eyes closed the whole time and your arms tight to your sides, um, and lie completely still and completely flat. And, uh, at least for the MRI that I had to get. Um, of my brain because I have MS. And so my brain, um, the, the myelin, I believe it's called like that sort of protects my brain tissue and all that stuff is sort of deteriorating. Um, and so it's affecting me, has been affecting me since, or at least I should say I was diagnosed in 2017. Um, I have very minor symptoms, um, but I've noticed some things kind of getting weird with regard to speech, um, and thought and memory, um, and I need to establish some sort of care here in Maryland, which is where I live now as of, you know, since, since, um, 2017, actually. Uh, so I need to establish real care here as opposed to kind of flip-flopping around everywhere, getting 
you know, exams done here, exams done, exams done there, um, because of my travel and research schedules and things like that. So anyway, um, I'm in this machine for a straight hour and a half first. So they take a bunch of pictures of like my neck, my upper back, my spine, you know, my, my head, et cetera, different angles of my head. Um, and then thankfully they let me listen to music while I was in there. So they use like a kind of Pandora like service, um, that just streams songs. And, uh, I listened to some like eighties rock music for the whole time. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then after the first hour and a half, they pull me out of the machine. I still have to lie still. I can't move. And I have this like helmet plastic frame thing over my forehead and like the top part of my head so that I really don't move my head. Um, and so they pull me out and they put an injection for like what's called contrast dye in my left arm. And so that's to kind of highlight some things in the images that are being taken in the MRI machine for later doctors can look at it and kind of see in greater detail certain aspects of the photos with this contrast dye somehow. I don't really understand the science of it and how it works fully, but that's what I've been told. Um, that's like the, the medicine for dummies or science for dummies version. Um, so anyway, that was kind of weird. Um, long, long and frustrating experience. Just I mean, I'm not like claustrophobic or anything. So in one way, it's kind of cool because I get to sort of relax for several hours and not have to do anything, which is weird for me. I'm so used to like doing so many things at once. Um, so it's nice to have a kind of meditative calm of sorts, despite the really loud banging noises that are going around in the machine around my head. But um, at the same time, it is a really weird experience and you get kind of cramped up and your arm and your leg and all this stuff kind of, it tends to like go through phases of numbness and then soreness, but then you can't move anything. And so it's kind of frustrating. And then you might feel a part of your body itch or hurt or burn. It's just like <laughs> you have all these sensations that you start to realize that if you were busy doing something else, you would never notice. Um, and especially of course, if you're moving, you wouldn't notice your body necessarily getting numb or sore in quite the same way that sitting or lying, I should say on a flat surface for that long, uh, will make happen. But anyway, all of that aside, um, you know, after getting the MRI exam, I just thought to myself, or imaging, I just thought to myself, like, I wonder how much this is going to cost, right? <laughs> like, oh my God. <sighs> so that's always the kind of thought that goes through my mind here uh, in the U.S. After I have any sort of medical attention paid to me or my child, I think, how much is that going to cost? And that's just a terrifying feeling. And I know a lot of people start their medical journey with that fear, right? Depending on what kind of insurance you have, what kind of coverage you have, if at all, um, you know, the first thing out of your mind before you even think about going to the doctor, not just emergency, but the doctor is, can I afford this? How much is it going to cost? Um, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, like I saw an ad today for St. Jude um, Cancer Research Center and Cancer Treatment Center for Children in Memphis, actually, which is where I'm from, Memphis, Tennessee. And they had an ad where they were talking about how, like, you know, as parents, people were so grateful for, you know, the services that were the services that were provided for them, their child, their the whole family, you know, the courtesy they were paid and the fact that it was free and they didn't have to worry about the burden of medical costs 
And I just thought to myself, like, <laughs> you know, it's just so dystopian, right? Like, if you were in any other country, almost any other country, if your child were diagnosed with cancer, you would never hear those words come out of anyone's mouth about like how grateful they were. They didn't have to worry about costs. Like for the most part, most people in other countries don't have to worry about costs if they find themselves in such a dire medical emergency, right? It's like childhood cancer. Um, and the thought of people even being afraid that they would have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to keep their child alive. is just, it's just absurd. You know what I mean? Like if we had some sort of single payer Medicare, Medicare for all program, you know, so just like the most basic level universal healthcare program, we wouldn't have to be dealing with anything of the sort. I mean, the idea of a St. Jude would just be, you know, like, like something out of a, like a, because I said, you know, dystopian novel, sorry, people were screaming outside. So I was kind of concerned for a second. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really not the case in so many places. And that made me kind of start thinking about the MRIs that I had when I was in Turkey. So like around the same time when I was diagnosed in 2017, I went to Turkey. Um, oh, sorry. I was initially diagnosed in 2015, had a subsequent um, kind of confirmation diagnosis in 2017 when I was in Turkey. So um, we had gone to visit my husband's family there was like a family event or whatever. It was the height of summer, super hot. It was like end of July, beginning of August, um, really hot. And my body just freaked out because for those of you who have MS or know someone with MS, you may know that extreme temperatures, um, especially heat and humidity for some reason, really aggravate um, the bodies of people with MS. We feel like we're you know, like just like melting, our insides are melting. It's a very stressful process on the body and can make certain symptoms um, come on. And so I basically had like a, an attack Like my body attacked itself. Um, we were trying to get on the ferry to go from one city to the next to like go to meet up with my husband's family. And my body just started shaking. I was stressed out because we were also in the middle of a move in back in the States. So we were moving from Virginia to Maryland, um, like right before we went to Turkey. So it was like a mix of anxiety, stress, just having gotten off the plane, like being stressed out from that, trying to get all of our stuff together to get on the ferry and then the intense heat and humidity. And my body just like broke down. I started shaking. Um, I couldn't control my hands, my arm, nothing. Like it was as if I was having a seizure or something. Um, and I'd never experienced anything like it before in my life. Um, and so we, while we were there, we had already been planning actually for me to go see a neurologist in Turkey because they have really good doctors in Turkey in general. Um, and the healthcare there is not as expensive. And so, um, I was like, yeah, okay, you know, we can do that. It sounds like a great idea, whatever. We'd already kind of called around and gotten um, some some doctors in line for me to see while I was there. But then this attack happened and it was like, whew, that really was A, well-timed, but B, you know, just kind of highlighted the urgency of my need to go and see someone and to make sure that MS was actually what was going on with me. Um, so... I went to a doctor while in Turkey who was amazing, a female doctor and just really careful and like attentive and um, went through everything with me, 
you know, confirmed my MS diagnosis and she ran a ton of MRIs, which is where the story kind of comes back full circle. So I had to have multiple MRIs, although they weren't like two hours at a time, like the one I had today. Um, it was several MRIs. I would have breaks in between them, um, for each set of angles and like parts of the body, et cetera, parts of my like upper body. Um, and I would say the total costs for like going to get the MRIs, going to see the doctor who was like a private doctor. I went to see her twice. She did a physical exam, you know, MRI analysis. She ran some other tests. Um, you know, she's just like, <laughs> like top to bottom, if you can imagine a physical, but just in relation to this diagnosis, um, in the U S it would have cost me, I mean, I'm thinking thousands of dollars at least, <laughs> you know, like I, I could at least see them, I could see them, um, you know, charging the, ins the company. So the insurance, insurance paperwork would say probably something in the thousands of dollars, just kind of reflecting on how much I had to pay, for example, for, ultrasounds in the U.S. when I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, and then thinking about MRIs that I'd had in the U.S. before. So, you know, just kind of thinking of those costs, right? I'm imagining it's going to be thousands of dollars. Like, and I only paid, I would say like, I didn't want to say like $200, maybe max for all of these exams and all of these scans and everything. And that's without insurance, right? And that's for at a, at a private you know, like research institute type hospital. If you can imagine like a Johns Hopkins type hospital in Turkey, right? Um, and <clears throat> if I had had insurance in Turkey, um, it would have been probably free or very close to free. Um, that's certainly been the case, you know, when my in-laws have had medical emergencies or they've had to have these like extensive tests run in order to diagnose illnesses or, you know, chronic concerns or whatever. Um, you know, they didn't have to pay anything or they paid very little out of pocket and it was, you know, comparable to their, um, their cost of living where they live. You know, it wasn't something that was like, oh, I'm just saying this as, you know, an American thinking in, in U.S. currency versus the Turkish lira. No, it was literally like if I lived there and I had insurance or, you know, just like if I were a Turkish citizen by birth and lived there and had just like Turkish health care um, through the state, it's very inexpensive and most of the time free. You pay through your taxes, but even then, like, it's a cost that's very minimal compared to what we pay already here in taxes and get nothing for. Um, we have nothing to show for it. It like all goes to war and, you know, so much nonsense um, and you know, corporate tax breaks and things like that. So it's really, it was just, it's just mind boggling to think that we have to worry about, you know, just having our basic health needs met diagnoses that can be easily, um, you know, treated and dealt with and managed. And yet we have to wait on them to get, we have to wait to get seen, um, because we can't afford the treatment or we can't even afford the diagnosis. And then things get worse and worse and worse and progressively worse. And then by the time we go to the hospital, you know, we're damn near dead and the bill is going to be enough to basically make us die of shock if we haven't already died from whatever illness we had or, you know, condition that we were dealing with that we had let get out of control because we didn't have the funds to go to the doctor in the first place. Um, so, you know, that's a reality for so many people. And as I've said over and over, like I have quote unquote good insurance where I only pay 10% and I don't have premiums or I don't have like a deductible and all this stuff. 
or like a set amount that I need to reach before I can get service. But, you know, the fact that that's considered good and I'm still paying 10% out of pocket, I'm still paying money to be enrolled in the insurance, like in the thousands, you know, I don't know, <laughs> like, what kind of advantage that is, you know what I mean, when I compare it to living somewhere else. And every day, you know, I think about like, whoa, what if I lived in another country? Like, what if my husband and I just up and moved and, you know, took our daughter with us and said goodbye to America and live somewhere else. I certainly think that our cost of living, I know actually our cost of living would be much lower. Um, we perhaps wouldn't have the ease of like disposable products that we have here in the U.S. Like I feel like it's very easy to get a bunch of junk. If you want stuff, whatever you want, you can get it whenever you want it pretty much. Like if you have the money for it and often it doesn't cost that much money, you can get things that you want right? Like I want this kind of salsa or I want this type of dress or I want this type of dresser or like lamp or whatever. We have access, easy access to goods, most of which as I can, you know, talk about uh, that I mentioned before, like they're disposable, right? They're like not high value goods, but they're goods nonetheless that meet our immediate needs for that moment. And, um, you know, <laughs> they're cheaply made goods, cheaply produced, often with non-unionized labor, often abroad with people who are in dire conditions themselves, um, much worse than ours. And it's just like layers and layers and layers of oppression upon oppression for the sake of satisfying this like need, quote unquote need for consumer goods. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's just crazy. Like I've, I'm in the process right now. I'm TAing a class, um, that deals with, uh, early Atlantic, um, the early Atlantic world and kind of the origins of slavery in the Americas and things like that. And, you know, just thinking about how this ball got rolling in the first place and how Europeans became obsessed with these small, cheaper, you know, consumer goods that were being produced by virtue of the goods that were, um, you know, basically stolen uh, through... Uh, the exploitation of indigenous groups in Africa and the Americas um, through enslavement, through land uh, removal and things like that. And, you know, we look back at those times and we say, God, like people were killing each other, killing people, killing each other over sugar and like harming each other over silk and cotton and all this silly stuff. Like, look at them. You know, they're so, it's so ridiculous. Right. But and we also often look at that time, those times, you know, 16, 1700s, and we say, like, how could people know that this was going on and not really do anything to change it? <laughs> and, you know, I laugh because it's like, well, what's different between then and now? Like, we know that so many of the products we consume are made through really inhumane ways. And if anything, we're even more educated now on those issues. And yet we just turn the other way. We're like, well... I guess then's the breaks, right? We just kind of think about this exploitation as normal. And not only do we think about exploitation abroad as normal and just completely just standard fare for whatever we want to get whenever we want it, but we also see the exploitation of labor here, like right in our faces. If you think about Amazon workers, you know, retail workers, restaurant workers, like so many people working on farms, like literally every single level of like, the low wage, <clears throat> minimum wage, if not arguably slave wage um, type labor in this country. And we just kind of are like, yeah, that sucks. Oh, well, let me go back to buying whatever I need to buy and eating whatever I need to eat. And, you know, I think sometimes 
if we think about these things, if we really pause and stop and wonder, like, where did this come from? What kind of labor went into this? Was the person who made it fairly paid and working in fair conditions and like giving, being given um, a life from this work? If we think about it and we know the reality of it and we acknowledge that, we would never, ever, ever want to consume again. I think part of it involves, you know, like a really high level of dissonance. Um, and what's frustrating, as I mentioned kind of earlier, is the fact that we often look back in the past and we say, oh, it's so awful that these people let these things happen and didn't do anything about it. But it's like, are we doing much better? And so when I think about what's quote unquote good about living in the U.S., many of those things hinge on this sense of dissonance about what I consider my standard of living and based on what supposed needs, right? If I lived elsewhere and I've lived elsewhere and seen kind of the difference just on everyday, on an everyday basis, how people spend their money and on what things, um, people who would be considered like comparable to my class level in the U S and it's very different. Right. Um, and it makes you really kind of reflect on, you know, what you actually do need versus what you want versus what you're being told by the society that you're supposed to have in order to be happy. And I think a lot of life in America is just about that. You know, it's like this, this um, adherence to commercial needs more than our own and seeing ourselves as lucky on the virtue, on the basis that we can just get whatever we want whenever we want it. When, except for the things we actually need, right? So like we can't get decent healthcare um, at a price that makes sense and we can't get decent education at a price that makes sense and we can't have, you know, like workers' rights and we don't have so many protections that other people have. We talk a lot about free speech, but even that is not really free. I mean, go and be a Palestinian rights activist and see how far you get. Um, in so many areas of, <laughs> of, of education, politics, etc. right? Like sometimes there are just things that we are self-censoring for the sake of, you know, like getting a job. And I think that we have to be honest with ourselves about what rights are we actually have versus what we think we have. And that's just kind of covered up with, um, these sort of superficial ideas of, satiating desires, um, based on consumer, consumerism and consumer wants and not really needs and certainly not basic needs. Um, <clears throat> and in many ways, it's sort of like the phrase, you know, we say actions speak louder than words, but in the U S I think words speak louder than actions. So often people will say things, politicians I'm thinking of in particular, they will say things and then not do them. And then as long as they say them, some people are satisfied with that. They think it's enough. As long as they talk about racial equality, but they don't do anything to secure it through law um, and through their, through their actions. Or they talk about, you know, dealing with economic inequality, but then they don't do anything in the law to change it and, in fact, do things to make things worse. Um, you know, we're taught to look only at the word and not at the action. And I think in the parallel to that is with regard to consumerism and health and needs, basic versus, you know, basic needs versus wants or needs versus desires. We focus so much on the material goods and the desires 
that we ignore as a country, and I'm not saying individuals, because obviously individuals care a lot about these things, but as a country, as a collective, as a voting body, we ignore the basic needs being met for the sake of this, you know, securing these very surface level desires. And, um, and you know, it's, it's a really disappointing state of affairs. I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to be positive. I think that there are lots of people out there who feel this way and recognize this problem and who are working to remedy it um, through a variety of means. But it's definitely frustrating that we're still here and that just to get an exam uh, to make sure that I am being subsequently properly treated for an illness that I'm dealing with, that I worry about how much it's going to cost in the end. And if I'm going to be like, if I'm going to go into debt trying to pay medical bills, um, you know, it's frustrating. And like a couple of weeks ago, uh, the week before Thanksgiving, my daughter was hospitalized. She had breathing issues. I think I mentioned this in, an, in another episode or elsewhere. Um, and you know, the, she had to stay, she, she was at the hospital for several hours the weekend before she was hospitalized, um, because she was having, she had an ear infection that got out of control. We didn't even know it was an ear infection. The doctors didn't realize she had an ear infection. Um, and it got intense to the point that they thought she was going to have to have surgery, like all this, this like drama, drama, drama. So she stayed at the hospital. Um, and while staying at the hospital, I just kept hearing like, the ching in my head of the like cash register. Every time they brought in a food item, every time they brought in another specialist to see her, every time they brought in a gown for her to wear, you know, I just kept thinking, okay, there's another exorbitant fee I have to pay another exorbitant fee I have to pay. And it's like, you know, I don't know. It's just sad that for any kinds of health needs here, we worry about that. It shouldn't be that way. And I hope that at least in my daughter's lifetime, that she doesn't have to make the crazy decision of like, oh, should I literally leave the place where I grew up and was born in to escape to like <laughs> some place where there's some semblance of economic equality or like access to, to things that we need as human beings because she feels like she can't get it here. Um, it's a really weird feeling, especially considering all the propaganda about how great America is and how great and perfect things are here and how much people in other countries like look to the U S as some sort of model for what life is like, at least if they're just going by what they see, um, you know, in the media, the mainstream media more particularly, but when people come here and they live here, or if they know people who live here who are not wealthy and they see the reality you know, things change, but the propaganda is very strong, even with seeing that reality, you know, people still will risk life and limb to come here because the conditions are so bad in their country. Oftentimes, almost always actually the fault of the U S at least in the, you know, surrounding areas. Um, and well, all over the world, to be honest. And so, you know, you have people leaving because they have no other choice and they see the U S as a, as an alternative, but the reality is that when they get here, you know, people see, recognize very quickly that it's not what they see on TV. And, um, you know, I think Americans, U.S. born Americans are starting to realize that too. And what we do with that 
Um, we'll see, you know, time will tell, but I think there's been, you know, a little bit of, there's been, there have been some stirrings of where things are going to end up if we don't fix this problem soon. And I hope, as I said, that it's sooner than later and it's sooner than when I need to, or my daughter needs to start thinking about getting the hell out of Dodge. So anyway, with that said, that is the end of today's Podmas episode. <laughs> I'll try to have some happier notes, I promise. I have some interviews lined up that are going to be very happy and um, positive and encouraging. They're not going to be gloom and doom like most of my episodes will be. So I promise those are in the works and on their way to your ears. Um, but in the meantime, as per usual, make sure that you subscribe, that you check us out on Patreon, on social media and elsewhere. You can directly contact me if you have questions or concerns, or if you want to learn more about the Left Pocket Project as a whole. Anyway, you can do all of that by finding at LeftPSC online um, and on Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash LeftPSC. I will speak to you all soon. Have a wonderful night and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye-bye.